Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Acts chapter 2. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to. It's in the latter part of the Bible, but Acts chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you in other locations around Metro DC, as well as those of you online who are physically unable to be with us today. It's good to be together around God's Word, and especially if you're visiting with us here. My name is David Platt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are really glad that you are here. We are in the final week of a series on being with God. And just to give you a heads up, the plan is to start a new series next week in the book of Nehemiah, which I really believe is going to be encouraging and emboldening for you in your life, in your relationships, in your work. We actually just read through Nehemiah in our Bible reading plan, for those of you who follow along with that. And it's such a timely book, particularly in light of all that we've come through in the world and specifically in our church over recent years to see this picture of God restoring his people for a new future together. So next week, Mike is going to start us in Nehemiah chapter one, cast vision for us as a church family together in the days ahead. So don't miss next week and that series. But today, we're coming to the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I really want to encourage you, if you haven't already, go to mclanebible.org slash stories. So mclanebible.org slash stories and share how you have seen God work through prayer over the last 21 days specifically. We want to encourage each other with what we have seen God do and and to pray for each other as we are still waiting for God to do different things. I won't go into all the details now, but a, a few things happened in my life this last week, even in the last 24 hours of this 21-day journey that brought just clear answers to some things I had prioritized to pray for during these days. I was having a similar conversation out of the lobby with somebody just sharing about amazing things God has done in their work and providing a job when they were fasting and praying for that. So obviously we're not stopping praying and fasting from seeking God together and seeing God work, but it's good to look back at these last few weeks specifically in that way. All that though leads to our time together today where we're going to look in God's word at being with God in community. So we being with God being with God alone, being with God in chaos, being with God in the dark last week, and then being with God in community. My goal today is to show you what happens, not just when a bunch of individual people spend time alone with God in prayer. Yes, we do that. Go in your room, close the door, be with God, nobody else around, receive his reward, participate with him and what he's doing around the world from that room, and then gather together to be with God. It's what we're doing right now. But here's the problem. If we're not careful, we will miss the wonder of what this gathering is. And not just this gathering, but how we're called to gather together with God in, fars, in ways far beyond like just this moment on a Sunday morning. So let's start with Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. So this paragraph in God's Word gives us 
in a sense, the first full picture we have of the church in the Bible. So follow along as I read aloud, and it'll be up here on the screen. And they devoted themselves to coming together whenever it was convenient on their very busy calendars. They came not all together on time, but at different times. They walked into an air-conditioned building and found a comfortable seat. They nodded to the other people on their row, and some offered a smile, but they hardly looked at each other again. Instead, they fixed their eyes on a stage. They stood, and some of them sang. Then they sat and watched and listened to someone speak for a while until they stood to sing one more time, after which they peeled back some strange cellophane to uncover a small snack. (laughs) As soon as they were finished eating and drinking, they got out of there as fast as possible in order to beat the traffic. (laughs) Then they waited to do it again the next week or whenever it would work well again with their schedule, and they called it church. To be clear, what I read is not in the Bible. It is not Acts 2, 42 through 47. Yet, it is how many people experience church today. And I want to show you what I hope is obvious. It's not what God said church is to be. Now, I'm not saying some of the things I just mentioned are bad, like singing and listening, and no, we're, we're not going to turn off the air conditioning, but I want to show you in the Bible, in God's Word, what happens when the church gathers to seek Him. I want to show you how needs are met and people are healed. The dead come to life. Some are delivered from prison. Others are sent out on mission to new frontiers. And these people are loving each other and leading others to Christ with supernatural power. And I want to show you that this was God's design, not just for the church back then. It's God's design for the church now. And I want to call us today as a church based on the Bible to refuse to settle for anything less than what we see in the Bible. To not be content with casual church attendance, but to be committed to seeking God together and standing in awe of what we see God do when we gather. That is Acts 2, 42 through 47. So let me really read it to you now. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Yes, that's the church. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to experience that? And here's the good news. God wants us to experience that if we'll be willing to let go of some of the things in the picture of the church we've created and pursue the picture of the church that God has created. So here's what I want to do today. It's going to be a little different. Instead of just unpacking this passage word by word and phrase by phrase, which is what we normally do with a passage, I want to show us more of a bird's eye view of what happens when the church gathers in the book of Acts. I just want to read different passages in Acts and for us to get a glimpse of what the Bible says happens when God's people gather to seek him. So turn back to chapter one. We're going to start in the very beginning. We're going to fly through this, but if you're taking notes, I want to show you 10 different times we see God's people gathering together before him. There's far more than 10 in the book of Acts, but got to cut it off at some point today. So if you're taking notes, you'll have 10 different things to write down under the banner of what happens when God's people gather together. So let's go first. When God's people gather together to seek him, one, we receive supernatural power. This is Acts chapter one. I love this passage. So watch this. We'll start in verse eight, where Jesus tells his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus just promised he was going to give these disciples supernatural power. Power from his Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. Each one of them is going to have the power of the Holy Spirit of God living in them. Now watch what happens after this. When Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So let's get the scene here. When he says these things... Referring to what he'd said all before that, including verse 8, how the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. They were going to be witnesses. Let's think about this. From Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. They're standing on a mountainside. Jesus, they're, they're really not over the fact that he's alive. Like he's actually alive. He was dead. Now he's alive. Standing there looking at them. It's like pretty exciting. The gang's back together again. They're rolling. Jesus says, all right, guys, here's the plan. We're going to start back in Jerusalem. Now think about that. What just happened in Jerusalem? They just killed Jesus in Jerusalem. If you're a follower of Jesus, the last place you want to go is Jerusalem right now. They hate you there. So Jesus says, that's where we're going to start. That's not where we're going to stop. We're going to go from there into Judea and Samaria. Keep in mind, Jewish people, which is what all these disciples were, they hated the Samaritans. So we're going to go where you hate them. And then, that's not all, Jesus says, we're going to go to places in the world you don't even know exist, to the end of the earth, places you don't even know how to get to. So put yourself in these disciples' shoes. Jesus looks at you and says, okay, you're gonna, we're going to start in a place where they hate you. We're going to go to a place where you hate them. And then we're going to go to places you don't even know how to get there. 
And as soon as he says this, all of a sudden, he starts floating up to heaven. We're not talking about levitating a few inches off the ground. Like, he just shot up to the sky where a cloud took him out of their sight. He's, He's gone. Like, what are you doing? If you're one of these disciples, it's... It's exactly what the Bible says they did. Verse 10, they were gazing into heaven as he went. Then watch this. These two men show up. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. (laughs) Again, put yourself in these disciples' shoes. You're dumbfounded looking up into the sky because Jesus just disappeared into a cloud. All of a sudden, you look behind, beside you, and you see two dudes in white robes that have come out of nowhere. What do you do then? (laughs) Jump back and say, how'd these two dudes get here? I'll I'll tell you how. Jesus gave this plan to his disciples, took a flight up to the right hand of the Father, sat down, got comfortable, looked down, and saw the disciples looking dumbfounded into the clouds. And he said to two angels, go down there and tell them to do what I told them to do. You say, you're making that up. No, I'm not. Look at verse 11. These men say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What kind of question is that? Well, I just saw Jesus shoot up there like a rocket and a cloud took him. So just kind of curious to see like where he went and if he's coming back. And by the way, since we're asking questions, who in the world are you and where in the world did you come from? And the men say, oh yeah, he's coming back. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's gonna come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And you know what they did after that? They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They went into Jerusalem, they gathered together in an upper room, and look what they did. Acts chapter one, verse 14. All these with one accord devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Notice the language there. It doesn't say, with that plan on the table, all these with one accord devoted themselves to strategizing. They devoted themselves to whiteboarding, how they were going to put this plan into action. No, there's about 120 of them. We find out the next verse. And they were devoting themselves to prayer, to seeking God. And they did that day after day until Acts chapter 2, verse 1, says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They're gathered together in community seeking God. And watch what happens. We studied this passage before, but just imagine it. Like it's the first time you've ever read this. Imagine if this were to happen in the room you're sitting right now. Verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. The language there is like hurricane force winds. But it's just the sound. So it's not actual 100 mile an hour winds. It's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Imagine that happening right now in this room or other locations. Just imagine 100 mile an hour winds like hurricane sound, like a hurricane's coming, but you don't feel any wind. And then at this moment, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Just picture in my, what, is, what does a fire tongue look like? Fire tongue. Appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So just uh, look at the person next to you right now and picture a fire tongue resting on them. 
what do you do with that? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you do? What a scene. They were all, all of them, filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it. It's going to happen. You're going to see power and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you'll be a what? You'll be a witness. So what do they do? When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they begin to speak. They begin to witness. In other tongues, that word means languages. They start speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. They all start witnessing to Jesus in different languages. Can you imagine that? Imagine coming into this room and the Holy Spirit coming down, fire tongues everywhere, and all of a sudden, we're all speaking the gospel in languages we didn't know when we came in this room. That's, that's a good Sunday. Amen. If this were to happen. Now, here's the deal. This is obviously a unique event. The first time the Holy Spirit came upon his people. There was never another event like Pentecost. But that's kind of the point. Because now, for every single Christian, in the moment you Place your faith in Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life. At that moment, you're not just forgiven of your sin. You are filled with the same Holy Spirit who did all of this in Acts chapter 2. And that same Holy Spirit who did that in Acts chapter 2 is in every single follower of Jesus in this room, in the rooms where you're gathered, the Holy Spirit of God is among us. Same Holy Spirit, same supernatural power in us, among us. Do we believe that? That changes your perspective when you gather together in a room like this. And not just in a room like this, but in a home where you're gathered together with brothers and sisters in Christ. And you get down on your knees together and you pray. The Holy Spirit of God is in your midst. Yes. When God's people gather together, we receive supernatural power. Yes. I've totally got to pick up the pace. We're never going to make it through 10. So that's one. <laughs> two. Two. We experience, when God's people gather together, supernatural unity. Did you notice the language back in Acts chapter 1, verse 14? All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. With one accord. Like they're together as a family, like a supernatural, otherworldly family, with supernatural, otherworldly unity. Kind of unity that politics cannot create, that preferences cannot create, that ethnicity cannot create. A kind of unity that only the Spirit of Jesus can create. We can. Just imagine, even the kind of unity they felt when they saw tongues of fire, not on certain ones of them, but on each one of them. Not select ones. Each of them all together had the Holy Spirit. Imagine that exhilaration, that moment, like we're a part of something supernatural together in such a way that then Acts 2.44, we read it, said all who believed were together, had all things in common. Like, yes, there is a unity that's found when God's people come together and they're all on their faces together before God. Nobody above the other, no one better than the other. 
and certainly no one going after one another, just a group of sinners saved by the grace of God before a holy God in such a way that you see your brother or sister in Christ and you honor them and you cherish them, you love them, you build them up, you treasure them. Why? Well, for so many reasons, but one of them is because you honor and you love and you cherish and you treasure the Holy Spirit in them. I just look. It'll, it'll change the way you look at, speak to, speak about, interact with someone else when you realize the Holy Spirit of God's in that person. There's a, there's a love and honoring that's unique. Obviously, we love and honor anyone. All the more so, those are in the body of Jesus Christ. They have the spirit of Jesus in them. It's supernatural unity you experience together, unlike any other group you could gather with in this world. And then watch what happens. As the spirit of God is on them, And they're speaking the wonders of God in different languages. Number three, when people, God's people gather together, people repent of sin, come to Christ, and become a part of the church. These spirit-filled Christians, they're all speaking the gospel. Peter, who was the first, last time we saw Peter, he was afraid to even say he knew Jesus. He's denying Jesus. Now he stands up in front of a whole crowd of people and he's proclaiming Jesus. Why? What's the difference? Holy Spirit in Peter. So Peter says to this crowd, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then, watch what happens, verse 41, says those who received his word were baptized, and there were out of that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000. 120 to 3,000 in a day. For those doing the math, that's 2,500% growth. I just picture it if it happened today. We'll just use round numbers for simplicity. Imagine there were, imagine just 5,000 people were gathering at NBC today. That would mean by the end of today, 125,000 people would be lining up to be baptized. A good Sunday. Or if it's 10,000 people who gathered in BC today, that would mean by the end of today, 250,000 people would be lining up to be baptized. What happens when the church gathers to seek God together? The Lord adds to their number day by day those who are being saved. Don't you long for that? Then, number four. When God's people gather together in the book of Acts, people are healed of disease. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, right after this paragraph we've read, says Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And as the story continues, Peter looks at this guy, says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the guy does. Actually, he doesn't just rise up and walk. He rises up and leaps 
and praises God and everybody's amazed. Now, obvious, obviously the Bible does not say that every single person with disease or disability is healed when we pray for them, but mark it down, when we gather, we pray to the God who is able to heal any person of anything, and the God who is able to sustain every person in everything who looks to him. Amen. That actually leads to number five. When God's people gather to seek him, people are strengthened amidst suffering. And before I show you this in Acts, I want to connect the dots here with last week. So last week we talked about being with God in the dark. This week we're talking about being with God in community. And last week, one of the things we talked about was when we're in the dark and when the healing doesn't come like we want or the circumstances are not working out like we want, when life is crashing down, we need to be with God in community. Amen. So I want you to hear this story from Brady and Jillian Workman. Watch this with me. Hi, I'm Brady. And I'm Jillian. We're the Workmans. In 2021 was when I found out that I was pregnant with our son, Callum. So Callum was born on June 11th, 2022, and he was nine pounds. And those first few hours after he was born were really special. I just remembered holding him for the first time and just thinking to myself, like, it's just pure joy and elation. That night was when we started to realize something might be wrong with Callum. The next morning, the doctor made the decision to transfer him to the NICU. And so already, this was not going the way that we had anticipated. It's a lot of just uncertainty and just, you know, hospital life is unlike anything else. One day, one of the doctors came in to Callum's room and told us that Callum has a special heart. And that's something that you don't want to hear from doctors. Two days after his surgery, I remember that morning the doctor telling us that they were very concerned about him. The surgery had impacted his kidneys and they hadn't yet started to work again and I think that's when we realized that he probably wasn't going to live very long and in fact it was that night probably about three o'clock in the morning and um the nurse kind of woke us up a little bit and, you know, she showed us the, the monitors that was monitoring Callum's vitals and everything. You know, one quick look at it just kind of showed us that, you know, his heart was not working. It was very clear to us that that was going to be our last day with him. Mm -hmm. We had been reading to him throughout his time in the hospital from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And that week we had got 
to the end. That's about heaven. And we read it to him every night because we we knew that every night that week uh, might be when he went to heaven. So we might not ever know why, um, but we know where he is now. People might think that when you're a Christian, everything is nice and rosy. Um, you know, our story tells a different story that is very much different than that. Um, the one thing that separates us from everything else is that we have Christ to look to. We grieve with hope, knowing that God continues to walk with us now and that we will ultimately be with Jesus again someday and be with Callum again someday. Even though it was scary, uh, we did have peace and we knew that God was with us and we saw how he provided for us in incredible ways through our church family and our friends and family. We just thank God for everyone who showed up for us and we know that we could not have done it like we did um, without that support. God continues to write our story and um, he's been so good to us through it all, even in the midst of tragedy. And, um, you know, we're just thrilled to uh, be able to be parents again as Jillian is eight months pregnant and we're expecting a child we don't know the gender. Um, we're just praying for a healthy baby. We know that even though we feel that missing piece that, you know, Callum left behind, we, we do know that um, even in the midst of our pain and suffering, God um, is gracious through it all. you that you're in that hospital room with Brady and Jillian and Callum every step of that journey. I praise you for the brothers and sisters in this church family who were also in that hospital room walking alongside them. We praise you that we grieve with hope. We praise you that Callum's story doesn't end there. And Brady and Jillian's story didn't end there. Even as I saw them in the lobby today with Jonas, who was just born, we praise you for how you're working in ways we don't see and how you turn mourning to dancing how for all who trust in you, you will ultimately turn all morning into dancing. Amen. We praise you, Jesus, for making that possible. And we pray, God, I just pray over those who, for whom that video brings grief to the surface on so many different levels. I pray that even now in this gathering, 
they would find strength in suffering. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was just praying in between our gatherings today with a sweet sister in Christ who many of you at Tyson's know her, her story was about to give birth to her second child when her husband, our brother in Christ, died suddenly two months ago. And today just so happened to be her first Sunday back. And I was praying with her and she was sharing how grateful she is for a church family around her. There are so many things that people in each of the rooms where we're gathered right now are carrying. There is so much need whenever we gather together. Just think about the number of people in this room, but even just, I mean, I'm, whenever our church group gathers together, like there are inevitably people walking through hard things. And part of God's good design for his church is to seek him together in the middle of those things. Which is exactly what we see here in Acts chapter 4. Now for them it was persecution they were facing and they'd been arrested and then when they were released, watch this, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, so they share what's going on, they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And they said, I love the sovereign Lord. Together they fixed their eyes. You're the one who's in control. You're the one we trust. You're the one we worship. Even when things are falling apart, you're the sovereign Lord. I, I hope that that is what is happening even in this gathering today, that those who are carrying all kinds of burdens, that coming together, we're singing to God and his greatness, and we're encouraging one another in his word, but not just sitting next to each other on a row, like sharing life with others in such a way that we're able to share those burdens and pray with each other. This prayer is so beautiful, and I wish we had time to study it all, but look at where it leads. Verse 31, when they had prayed, in the place in which they were gathered together, that place was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And they walked away strengthened. So, and it's not that things were now suddenly easy for them in Acts chapter 5. It's actually the opposite. Things were even harder. But they were helping each other through gathering together. So mark it down. It will look different in each of our lives, but suffering will come in this world to every one of our lives. And none of us, not one of us, can faithfully make it through all this fallen world brings us on our own. Every single one of us needs the strength that comes from being with God in community. Amen. Seeking God together in the middle of the hard and the dark. Amen. So if you're walking through grief alone in any way, through suffering alone in any way, I exhort you today, based on the word of God, to find community in Christ 
Get connected to community in Christ. Here in this church family, or if not here, somewhere where you can pray together, share your burdens, grieve together with hope. Let's be a church that gathers around one another to strengthen one another amidst suffering. And that actually relates to the next one. So again, each one of these we could just camp out on, but I want you to see the big picture. So we're gonna jump to Acts chapter 12 for this one. I wanna show you that when God's people gather together, people are delivered from prison. And I realize we're jumping over so much, like specifically when it comes to individuals in prayer, Stephen's prayer as he's being stoned in Acts chapter seven, Philip being transported by the Holy Spirit to an Ethiopian's eunuch, eunuch's chariot in Acts chapter eight, Jesus appearing to Saul and Ananias in Acts chapter nine, and then Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, founding of the church at Antioch in chapter 11. But then Acts chapter 12, Peter is now in prison. So see the connection with Acts chapter four, verse five says, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the church is gathering together to pray for Peter in prison. And watch what happens. When Herod was about to bring him out to kill him, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the guard were guarding the, before the door were guarding the prison. I love this. Peter was sleeping. He's not devising jailbreak. Like, he's, he's peaceful in the middle of prison before he's about to die. He's able to sleep. Until, behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. I love just the see this story unfold. This angel shows up, stands next to him, shining light. Ah. And what does Peter do? Like, ah. So he's sleeping. So the angel strikes Peter on the side to wake him up. And the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. He did so. He said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So we don't want Peter going clothesless into the streets. So he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and opened for them of its own accord. They went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, I love that. This is why we love Peter. He is so slow. He has been woken up by an angel. He's been told to put on his clothes. He's been let outside through numerous guards. Gates have been opened for him. Now he's walking on the street in freedom. And then Peter came to himself and he said, now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And then it gets better. So he goes to the church where the church is gathered together. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together praying for Peter. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love Rhoda. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. You've now realized it's come to you. I'm an escaped prisoner in the street. 
so I need to go to the house where my friends are before anybody sees me. You're looking everywhere over your shoulder as you run into that house. You finally get there. You start knocking frantically, looking behind you. Rhoda comes to the door. Who is it? She asks. It's Peter, he says. Let me in quick. And she is so excited, she leaves him standing at the door and goes in and tells everybody, Peter's out of prison. And listen to what they say. They said to her, you are out of your mind. Imagine that conversation. Peter's out of prison. Be quiet, Rhoda. We're praying for Peter in prison. He's out of prison. Quiet, you're out of your mind. We're praying, just be quiet. But she kept insisting it was so. They kept saying, it's his angel. Meanwhile, the escaped prisoner, still outside, continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Maybe Rhoda was right. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, tell these things to James and the brothers, and they departed. He departed and went to another place. What a great story. So what happens when the people of God gather together to seek God? Supernatural jailbreak is what happens. And then, okay, so that's number uh, five, six, I don't know, six, six, people are delivered from prison. Then Acts chapter 13 tells us about one of the most important moments in human history. As a result of the moment I'm about to read to you in Acts chapter 13, over the next 200 years, the entire Roman world would be, would be reached with the gospel. New churches planted all over the place. And over the next 2,000 years, that gospel, churches would be planted in most every country in the world. Acts 13, 2 says this about the church at Antioch. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. They're seeking God together. The Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying together, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So when we seek God, gather before him together, people are set apart by God for a mission to new frontiers, for the spread of the gospel to new places where the gospel hasn't gone, and the world is changed. It's how the gospel spreads to the world, through the people of God gathering together for prayer and God speaking, saying, it's time for you to go, you to go, you to go. I'm not just sitting in a building. What if, what if? Success in the church is not uh, determined by how many people are sitting in seats in a building, by how many people are leaving those seats to take on the world with the gospel. Amen. That's what happens when God's people gather together. Amen. Set apart for mission of new frontiers. And then that leads to disciples being made, churches being multiplied in new places, new cities in Acts 13 and 14. And at the end of that, Acts 14, 23 says, as these churches are planted and elders are appointed, when they appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, so they gathered together and committed them, these elders, these leaders, to the Lord in whom they had believed. I love this picture. When God's people gather together, leaders are committed to God. Leaders are committed to the Lord and prayed and fasted for. That's number eight. Then number nine, I'll show you two more. When God's people gather together to seek him, we maintain hope amidst hardship. So Acts chapter 16 is a unique gathering. Paul and Silas are not together in an air-conditioned building, but in a prison cell, unjustly put there. And what are they doing? They're not complaining. What does Acts 16, 25 says? About midnight, Saul, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're seeking God together. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. Huh. 
First gospel choir we see in the Bible, Paul and Silas, and they brought down the house. Quite literally, if you know the rest of the story, the jailer and his household are saved. Like it's really good to gather together when there are things going on in our lives for which we might have reason in some minds to complain and to encourage one another through prayer and singing with the hope we have in God. Amen. Which leads to the last picture I want to show you. It's in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 36. So the last half of Acts chapter 20, verse, uh, last half of Acts chapter 20 chronicles a moment that Paul had with the leaders of the church in Ephesus before he left them, never to see them again in the world. And we read this starting in verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being full of sorrow. For, but most of all, because the word he had spoken, they would not see his face again. And here's why I want to finish with this picture. Because when God's people gather together, we express and experience a depth of a love and affection for one another that can only be created by the Spirit of God in our midst. Like we express and experience the kind of supernatural love God has designed us to experience. These are not just people in Acts 20 who, who sat next to each other in a service. They've sought the living God together. Yes, once a week in the gathering of the church and then other times throughout the week. And so this is where I actually want to turn it over to pastors at different locations and I'll take things here because the last thing I want us to do is see this, all of this in God's word and then we walk out and just kind of go back to business as usual. In the same way we would if we hadn't heard this from God. So I want you to hear a pastor at your location or for us here at Tyson's to think through, okay, what does it look like for us not just to gather in these rooms, but to gather as the people of God in all kinds of different ways, just like we've seen throughout the book of Acts. So brothers and sisters at different locations, we love you. We love being a part of church family with you in this unique way all across Metro DC. At the same time, we want to encourage you in the way you're gathering where you are and close to where you live. So location pastors, I'll turn it over to you at this point. And here in Tyson's, I want to invite a few people to join me out here. So the primary way we have as a church for experiencing God, being with God in community on a deeper level than what can happen in a gathering like this is through what we call church groups. And we want every member of this church family to be in a church group, a group of people who are the church to you and for you so that when you think, what church am I a part of? The first thing that actually comes to your mind is not this big picture, but it's these people who know you, love you, like care for you like family and are helping you grow in Jesus and you're working together to make disciples in the world. And the folks who are standing to my right, your left, 
help lead out in church groups. So immediately to my right are Glenn and Sharon Jones. They moved to D.C. just a few years ago uh, for Glenn to work as senior advisor to the president of Georgetown. They jumped right into this church family, first as church group members and now as church group leaders. And they have been so intentional to care for members in their group who've walked through physical challenges, marital challenges, financial challenges, just personal struggles on all kinds of different levels, and not just caring for them, but helping them grow in Jesus through those things. So I want to ask Glenn and Sharon, all right, we, I just said, like, we want every follower of Jesus who is, says, hey, this is my church family, to be a part of a church group. What would you say to anybody, maybe who's not a part of a church group, why is it important? Why is it so valuable to be in, with God in community at that kind of level? In 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible tells us to keep sober in spirit and be on the alert because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Hmm. And I found in my lifetime that there's no better way to remain grounded in my faith. There's no better way to be able to stand against the wiles and the schemes of the devil than to be an active living participant, living in community with other followers of Jesus Christ. People who will encourage me in my walk with the Lord, people who will hold me accountable for my faith, living out who I claim to be, but also people who will look out for me so that when the enemy is prowling around my life in areas that I cannot see because I'm blind to it because of blind spots, they point those areas out and in turn make me a better follower of Jesus Christ. In our 28 years of marriage, we have been part of church groups and even in singleness. And what we've found is that when you live with other people in community like that, not only do you grow stronger in your walk with God, but you begin to use your spiritual gifts to serve other people. And when you go through hard moments in your life, your faith becomes even stronger. And so we think it's best to live in community with others and not just sit in the, in the pews. But I hope that you will choose to become a part of a church group, not only for yourselves, but for the other people who also need you. You know, I just want to make the connection. The picture I have in my mind, listen to Glenn and Sharon, I picture a battlefield. First um, Peter 5, like we're in spiritual, there's an adversary who wants to destroy your life, wants to destroy your marriage, wants to destroy your family, wants to destroy just everything about you, your relationship with God. The court, like there's spiritual, but can you imagine how foolish it would be if we're like in a battlefield and just everybody's kind of doing their own thing alone in different places. Like, don't do that. That's, that's foolishness. Like, you need, like, others who are around you in the battle, who've got your back, who are 
serving, supporting you, and they need you. I love the way Sharon put that. It's not just about what you can get, but what others need from the Holy Spirit in you. It's not just for you. That's for other people. Like, this is not about, like, trying to recruit people to be a part of a program in the church. It's not, this, is, this is saying, for your own soul, you need community like this. It's deeper than just being in a room this size. You need this. And others need, actually need you. So, uh, okay, so then Kevin and Gina Hahn have uh, been a part of our church family, became members just a few years ago as well. And uh, they were a part of a church group led by Scott and Cindy Logsdon, which many of you know the Logsdons. They're amazing. And we just sent them out over recent months to Central Asia, um, which was great for Central Asia, but not so great for the church group that they were leading, leaving them like, who's going to lead now? And the Lord began to say to Kevin and Gina, I'm calling you to lead. And they felt uh, reluctance at that at first. So give us a glimpse of how. And I'm asking this in part because obviously in order to have church groups across our church family for everybody to be a part of, there need to be leaders of those church groups who are stepping up into that role. So give us a glimpse into y'all's processing of how that came about for you. So when I first joined church group, I was personally in a season of difficulty and I really did personally experience healing just through being part of church group, um, meeting in each other's homes, praying for one another. And what Scott and Cindy did so well was to really honor and cherish and treasure the spirit of Christ in all of us, um, as we heard about in Acts 2. And um, I think that was just such a huge part of my own healing. And they led us to experience the spirit of Christ in one another in that way. And so when they left, and they had been set apart for mission to New Frontiers. Um, We all prayed and um, we sought encouragement and we asked ourselves, how can we not just be part of continuing um, to provide that place of encouragement for others that we had received? Um, And so um, I don't think we necessarily thought of it as we're leading, um, but we really saw it as this is a way to serve our church group. Um, and I just have to be honest and say we are the ones that are the most blessed as we do. We just love our church group. And um, so if God is leading you to take steps to lead a group, um, we just prayed um, and we sought encouragement and we um, asked ourselves, how can we not um, be part of providing what we had so freely received? And um, I think as you do, you will be the one that is most blessed. Yeah, for me, my experience um, was that, um, yeah, I really saw God both provide and enable. So, um, yeah, for me, I just had a lot of doubts because I feel like I was too new to NBC, too unfamiliar, too inadequate, too unsure, all that kind of stuff. But the way that God responded to that was, uh, prompting our church group members to both step up and step in to offer to share the burden. So that ranged from, you know, um, just words of affirmation and confirmation to encouragement to bringing snacks and opening up their homes to take turns hosting church group meetings. Um, someone even just, yeah, took ownership of the service um, or coordinating service opportunity for a church group to, you know, even like facilitating sharing 
um, you know, content and um, prayer time. So, yeah, it was just really a, it's a beautiful picture of God, I think, piecing together just different members' offerings and willingness and commitments. And so, yeah, I just really want to thank God and thank our church group members um, and want to thank our pastors, you know, who gave us training. So I do remember one training session where Pastor Nate had all the church group leaders in training to promise that we will not lead alone. So uh, promise kept, and um, yeah, that's kind of our story. So, so good. I praise, well, I would just I praise God for his sufficiency. If you feel inadequate to lead, consider yourself in really good company, like with all of God's people. Just start with Moses in the Bible and keep reading from there. A man who said, I, there's no way I can do this. And God says, yes, you can't, but you have me. I will be with you. And I'll enable you. I love the way Gina said it. The blessing that grows from that in your own life is far beyond what you're able to pour out in others' lives. So James Park, one of our pastors here at Tyson's who oversees church groups specifically. So how, what, what are next steps? For those who are in church groups, like let's press into even more depth of community. For those who are not a part of church groups or those who God may be raising up to lead a church group. What are next steps? Yeah, so immediate next step for those of you who want to join the church group will be to fill out a short form at mcleanbible.org slash next steps. I think the QR code will be up, uh, mcleanbible.org slash next steps, and fill out a short form, and we will personally follow up with you with some group recommendations based on where you live. If you have more specific questions or if you're new to NBC, we'd love to invite you to attend the 10-minute newcomer reception, NBC Connect across the lobby, in the Connect Room right after this worship gathering uh, to come with questions. I would love to uh, hang out and uh, spend time and help you get connected to a church group. And so if you're already part of a church group, I love this picture of church group members stepping up by faith uh, in leading and serving a church group. Uh, So if you're already uh, committed to caring for one another like family, growing to become more like Christ, and making disciples on mission together, I would say start having that conversation with your church group leader or a pastor to start that process of discernment and development. It doesn't mean that tomorrow you become a church group leader and 30 people are coming over to your house, uh, but we will begin that process of prayerfully exploring what next steps are for you and work with you and help you along the way uh, to potentially lead out a church group. Just to make sure, mcclainbible.org slash next steps or take like, I don't know how many steps it will take you across this lobby right after this gathering, and uh, there's a 10-minute gathering over there where you can find some next steps from there. And if those of you are online, this is part of why online is great and insufficient for experiencing God and community. So you can go there as well. Before uh, these folks leave, Glenn, you, you shared something earlier that I wanna, I wanna ask you to share again from one of the members in your church group. We have this phenomenal 29-year-old in our church group, and she travels a lot, and she's always accountable to us. She lets us know when she's traveling, she won't be here, on and on and on. We got a text yesterday morning from her at about 6.30, letting us know that she wouldn't be there. And since she was up and I was up, and I knew we were speaking today, I said, hey, why did you join the church group? And what benefit have you gained from it, if any? And here's how she responded. I wanted to join a community group because I was craving an intergenerational community around me that I could learn from be challenged by, grow close to, and be pointed to the Lord. How has it blessed me? I feel like it's been all that and more. 
I've learned so much about the Bible and God. I've grown in my understanding of others with different life experiences. I've been challenged to grow in ways I was either able to ignore before or blind to. I feel like I have a group of people I, have, I feel confident in bringing my prayer requests and questions to. And I feel like I'm surrounded by amazing people who have served me well and shown me Christ in so many ways that it just makes me more and more in awe of him and his creation and who he is. And a year ago, we never even knew she existed. And now we cannot imagine not being, having her and the other 20 people in our community group in our lives today. And as I said, there's such a blessing. Being in a community is such a blessing. I encourage you that as God speaks to you today, to step into it, not just to do it out of obligation, but do it because as great as the sermons are here, as great as the worship time is here, the best part of this church is how we live in community with each other day in and day out through celebrations, through the pain, through the suffering, through the trials and tribulations of life, knowing that I have someone who knows me by name, that I can pick up this phone and call at any time and who will be there for me. And I encourage you, if you're not a part of that, I beg you, I implore you on behalf of God, don't leave it, be out there by yourself, allowing the enemy to come in and to, out of your life whenever he seems, sees fit, because you're alone. And when we're alone, we're like the animal roaming on the plains of the Serengeti. We're just, we're just easy pickings for the prey, or easy prey for the predators. But when we're together in community with God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has a way of using us to encourage each other, to protect each other, to challenge each other, and to remind each other of who we are in Christ, despite the lies the enemy tries to speak to us each day. So if you don't want that, then don't join a church group. If that's like, ah, kind of would like to be alone as prey with predators around. Like, like, no, no, of course. Like, I hope, I hope you hear God calling you to the beauty of community according to his word.